Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and my guest for this episode is the playwright Itamar Moses, who wrote the book for the musical The Band's Visit, which had an award-winning off-Broadway run at the Atlantic Theater last year, and is now on Broadway at the Ethel Barrymore Theater. Hello, Itamar Moses. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you. Um, the uh, band's visit uh, already had a really successful off-Broadway run, um, and so a lot of people saw it, but a lot haven't um, and, and are looking forward uh, to the Broadway run. So could you describe the show for those people who haven't yet seen it? Uh, sure, yeah. The band's visit is based on uh, an Israeli movie by a filmmaker named Aron Kolarin from about 10 years ago. And the musical preserves the basic plot of the movie, which is that an Egyptian police orchestra is sent to Israel to give a concert uh, to sort of inaugurate the opening of an Arab cultural center. Uh, and they're sent to the city of Petah Tikva, which is you know, basically a, just a sort of neighboring city next to Tel Aviv. Uh, but because of a miscommunication at the bus station, they end up in this tiny town in the middle of the desert um, with a similar name, uh, where there's no Arab cultural center and where they end up stranded uh, for the night and there isn't another bus out until the next day. And so the story is basically about all of the little sort of connections and interactions that take place between um, these Egyptian musicians and these sort of Israeli townspeople who, who take them in for one night. Now, how did you get involved uh, in the project? Well, I knew I knew of the movie, but I'd never seen it. And then I was contacted about this project, about the idea of turning into a musical. A, a man named Oren Wolf, um, who's our producer, had seen the film and acquired the stage rights. And uh, and so he was looking for, you know, for a book writer and for a composer to to sort of take on the task of adapting it. So I so I watched the movie with that in mind for the first time, you know, I, I, I hadn't seen it before. Um, and I watched it sort of with that goal as a, you know, like, let me see if this is something that I think could turn into a stage musical. And um, at, the, at that time, I'd just come off of working a couple other musicals and I wasn't, they take so long and they're so, so difficult that I wasn't <laughs> actually looking to leap into another one. But when I saw the movie, first of all, it's terrific. But secondly, I don't know. I, I think I had the same experience that Oren must have had when he when he saw it for the first time, which is that I, I, I saw very clearly how it could live on stage and how how it could work as a as a musical. Now this is very different than your previous musicals. One was uh, Nobody Loves You, which is an original piece, right? And yes. And then Fortress of Solitude, um, based on the Jonathan Lethem uh, novel. So this was right. This was a, a little bit different. What was the greatest challenge in uh, adapting this piece? Because it's 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 an eccentric film. Um, well, as you said, like I'd, I'd done an original musical and a musical based on a novel, and actually, in some ways, this was this was easier with the original musical. 
Nobody Loves You, which is a satire about reality television. Um, you know, there was a, we had to, me and the, and the composer, uh, lyricist Gabby Alter, had to sort of invent the story and, and the characters from whole, out of whole cloth. So that, that's a challenge. And then adapting Fortress of Solitude, you've got this dense 500 page novel. It's not built out of scenes, it's full of all of these internal, you know, long internal musings. Um, whereas the band's visit was, um, I mean, it's a screenplay, but at least it's already in dramatic form. <laughs> so, so in a way, it's a much shorter distance. So the challenge was that in filmmaking, you have um, all kinds of visual tools, close-ups on people's faces, close-ups on, you know, something as simple as a photo on a wall or a photo in someone's hand and or, or the bleak sort of sad, haunting street as, you know, an empty street goes to dusk. Like, images like that you can't really use on stage in the same way that you can in film. You can't focus the audience's attention on a tiny object on a table, right? So you sort of have to figure out how to take visual metaphors, which films are full of, and, and make sure that you've translated them into theatrical ones, into things that... Um, live sort of in dialogue and in, and in moments between people. That said, it's, it's um, you know, it's not a movie that has, you know, explosions and car chases. It's a movie that is built primarily on sort of small interactions between individual people, which is, um, which is what theater ex- excels at. Um, so I would say that the challenge was, um, apart from figuring out how to compress and elide certain things, that it didn't have to rely so much on the visuals. It was also that it's a very quiet, sort of intimate story. Yes. So the other challenge when you're making a musical is like people might expect something that has a lot of flash or a lot of spectacle. And this is sort of the opposite. It's like, how do you make a musical that honors the spirit of the film by being deeply felt and kind of uh, about burrowing more into the vast spaces inside of these people than it is about big production numbers or anything like that. Can you give us an example, though, of, of some sort of um, filmic scene or metaphor that you were you translated for the stage? I know there were many of them. The, well, some of it, so the, the direct visual sort of translation was more in the hands of our designers, coming up with a kind of you know, our set moves and transforms a little bit over the course of the evening, but it's basically just a look that evokes this town, a town in the middle of the desert through the set and the lights and projections, and then transforms and becomes all of these different spaces. So so that was more sort of in the in the hands of the design team to create to sort of recapture the haunting tone mm-hmm. of the visuals of the film in sort of a theatrical way. Um, for me, it was more about, Initially, it was very simple, almost sort of mundane stuff like, okay, here's a sequence of three or four scenes that take place in slightly different areas. Is there a way to stitch all of these things together so they can all take place in this room? Okay, here a bunch of people are in a car going somewhere. Can I make, do we need this conversation or can this conversation happen before they get in the car or then some of it after they arrive? Um, You know, here's a, a strange, you know, there's a, there's a sequence in the roller rink, the, yes. the one fun thing to do in town. And in the film, it returns to the roller rink a couple of times. And I thought, okay, well, just thinking in terms of the flow of a theatrical evening, 
I think it would behoove us to go to the roller rink once. So what does that do structurally if I take all of the parts that happen in the roller rink and put them together and so that once we're there, we stay there and then we leave? Stuff, so stuff like that. Um, the other thing was sort of something that happened in tandem between me and the composer David Yazbek and David Cromer, the director, which is that from very early on, we talked about how the presence of the live orchestra on stage was something yes. we wanted to make use of and that we wanted their presence over the course of the evening to go from a very literal one where literally these musicians are stranded in this town and they're there into something as as it gets later and later in the night and things become maybe a little bit more fantastical um, the way they do in our minds late at night, to have the musicians sort of scattered around the space, underscoring scenes that they wouldn't literally be present for, mm -hmm. but almost sort of they're the, what are they? They're the music of the desert. They're the music of the spheres. Um, and that felt like something you can't do in the film, but that captures the spirit of the film theatrically. Right. Um, so... Uh, so that was also something that was important to us and that we and that we you know couldn't really figure out how it, how it needed to work until we were you know at the I mean when we were downtown off Broadway we we you know had the set and the musicians and you know live in the space and then we were able to sort of figure out how that would work that was sort of something we said to each other for years we're going to use the musicians it's going to be so cool and then until we actually got into the room we we didn't really have to answer the questions of, of how and why and where um, so that was sort of figured out on the fly last year. Now, had you known David Yazbek before, the composer of the of, of the musical? No, um, I mean I knew him by reputation and I knew his work, but our our first conversation ever was actually a phone call about this project. You know, I'd had some conversations about maybe signing on as the book writer, and I knew that he was the composer they were considering, and so they sort of set us up for a phone date. <laughs> and we and we got on the phone and and I remember thinking like okay I, I think I know how to approach this and what I want to preserve about the movie so let's see if this guy and I are on the same page and then from the very first conversation we were we sort of had a lot of the same ideas about why it would be worthwhile to try to do this um, and so from that first phone call I thought okay this could work and and how did uh, the two of you work did he go off and compose music and you went off and did the book or did you um, yeah not not really for, for the first thing that happened was I wrote a script with no songs I just sat down with the movie and and you know an open word Microsoft Word document and uh and, and just sort of went through it and figured out, like, if this were a play, you know, what what would the scenes be? How would you just translate this as a, as a story to the stage? Um, so I did that first. And then he had, I think, one song that he knew he wanted in the show. It, it actually ended up being the last song in the show. Uh, but it's a solo for one of the for one of the characters. So I think when we did our very first reading for the people at The Atlantic, that was all we had. They just read my script, and then we and then David played a recording of this one of this one song, and that was it. And so then we actually had to start filling it in. So so that process began with with he and I sitting down in his kitchen together with the script and going through it page by page and sort of batting back and forth ideas of okay, well there could be a song here, and you know you could cannibalize 
this speech or this section of the dialogue and we could expand this into a song. And that's the way, that's the way a lot of musicals work. I think it's sort of, it, it works really well when a song grows out of what organically would be in the scene anyway. And sometimes the easiest way to do that is the dumb thing of, okay, just write the scene or just write as a monologue what that character would say. And then we'll know what the core of the song might be. And David instincts are also very good. I mean, I would, I would, I would say, what about a song here about this? You know, he, you know, he can, he's really, you know, they can all complain. Uh, and he, um, he generally had a fairly good instinct for, um, Oh yes, that's something we should try or, you know, trust me, that won't, that won't work. And on, and on the occasions where I pushed him to write a song that he was skeptical about, by and large, we ended up cutting it later. <laughs> and when did David Cromer, uh, your director, when did he enter the, the, the collaboration? Um, so Cromer, yeah, so Cromer got involved um, probably in the winter, yeah, like a year and a half ago, because um, we were we were going to do the show at the Atlantic, and, uh, and then... Uh, Cromer came in, I want to say, February or March and of you, uh, you 20... And you and Beck have been working how long? I mean, when did you guys start? Um, a, a couple of years, but actually that's pretty fast for a musical. It I is. mean, I, I, I think I wrote I think that, that first sort of play-like draft that was just a script that I described. I think I wrote that in the fall of 2013, I want to say, which wow. is four years ago. And so it was, you know, two years, a little more, two and a half years after that, that Cromer came on board. And then that fall, we did the off-Broadway premiere at the Atlantic. Were there any significant changes in the book uh, once Cromer came on board? Yeah, I mean, well, it's funny because the piece is so sort of delicate and spare Mm -hmm. that when you say something like significant changes, my instinct is to say, oh, yes, absolutely, we've changed tons of things. And then if you were to say, oh, really, what did you change? I would say well, you know, that scene that starts with those two characters, you know, Poppy and Zelger, and then Haled comes in. Now it starts with Poppy and Haled, and then Zelger comes in. <laughs> you know, like, you know, the, so what we learned is that it's such a delicate piece that cutting two lines or adding one speech has sort of enormous ripples. So, so even now, as we're in previews for Broadway, we're rehearsing, you know, on days when we have rehearsal, we're rehearsing three, four, five hours a day and making changes. And it feels like we're changing things constantly. And then someone will ask me at the end of the day, what did you change? And I'm like, I don't, I like you. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yes, there were, we did, you know, workshops leading up, readings and workshops leading up to the Atlantic production where we would, you know, shift certain things about the stories, how a certain story turned or landed or where the, you know, okay, we need a, you know, sort of a big emotional, you know, moment there. Oh, wait, that's too much. Um, the changes were significant when you compare them to the scale of the piece. Uh, really small things become really meaningful in a show like this. Right, right. Now, do you use different writing muscles when you're doing a play versus the book for a musical? Is it different for you or writing's writing? Um it's there's similar muscles it's like a venn diagram i guess uh it uses some of the same muscles and some different ones i mean in a play you're responsible for a hundred percent of the text you sort of can't operate that way as a book writer you have to think more in terms of supporting and earning this other element 
you know, in, there's a, there's a number of differences. In a play, you 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 know, you try to make a scene or or the whole thing builds towards a particular peak or climax or a series of them, and then you get to write those parts. By and large, in a musical, you get to do the build, and then you hand over <laughs> the big emotional peak to the to the composer, um, and you're happy to do it because it's why you're doing a musical because music can sort of bypass our psychological defenses and when it works you take an audience to a place that it's very difficult to get them without that another big difference is that in a play or in the kinds of plays i like often the thing that is the most important theme or um yeah theme because i because I, I wouldn't use a word like message because i don't think most art sort of can be reduced to that but whatever that that sort of in the, the thing that most needs to be said, right? In a play, you kind of want to leave it unsaid. You want to have constructed everything around it such that um, the audience sort of hears it in their head anyway. <laughs> and, in, and in a musical, uh, sometimes you'll make that thing the hook of a song and repeat it over and over. So uh, so in this now, in this musical, it's kind of both yes. because our themes are stated in the lyrics but the lyrics themselves are kind of elliptical and poetic. Mm-hmm. You know, Yazbek talks about how the poetry, and it's, he's referenced in the show, like how the poet Rumi, for instance, is a big influence on the show. Lyrically, it's an overlapping set of muscles. It's also egoless in a way that um, is, I think, useful. Um, I mean, I think all writing has to have an element of humility to it in order to be good, but book writing really does. Yeah. <laughs> book writing, because book writing is, um, if, if people, if everybody walks out talking about the book and nothing else, you did something wrong. <laughs> well, I was going to say just the opposite is that when a musical doesn't work, people automatically blame the book. And when, right. when Often it correctly. works, when it works, <laughs> the book sometimes doesn't get mentioned. Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. It's a little bit like directing in that way, in that when done well, it's invisible. So, yeah, yeah it's different. It's different. And I, and I enjoy it as, I don't think it, I would ever want it to be the only thing that I was doing creatively. I think I would find it not not fulfilling enough on its own but as one of the things i do i find it really fulfilling because it because it's slightly different so what's 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 next for you i know you're still in rehearsals for 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 this uh show but what's next what are are you working on what can we look forward to um that's a good question i'm (laughs) i'm just in the early phases of finishing up uh early drafts of a couple of new plays but those, you know, given the timeline of how these things work and finding homes for them, I probably won't get to see them on stage for for a while. Um, and also maybe beginning to sign on yet again against my better judgment um, to some other musical uh-huh. projects. I think probably the next, I did some work on uh, uh, The Affair, the Showtime series The Affair this year. Mm-hmm. So I wrote, I wrote one of their forthcoming episodes. Um, for their upcoming fourth season. But yeah, no, uh, the band's visit is sort of the last finished theater project that I've got sort of coming to fruition. So um, I think I'm entering a sort of clean slate phase where where I sort of get to say what now, um, which is a little bit 
scary and, and exciting also. All at the same time. Um, <laughs> well, um, you're busy right now, so <laughs> you're, you're what a teacher of mine used to call gainfully employed. Yes. <laughs> and so good luck. Although you don't need it, the Thank show you. is already um, a, a much uh, acclaimed. And, um, and thank you for, for taking the time to talk with us about it. Thank you. Thank you. It was really fun. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com. <laughs>